Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. In 2012, he co-founded his company D-Risk, based in Malvern, which produces automated formal methods verification tools for systems and software which support compliance to many standards. He was an RAF officer engineer for 20 years and has a B.Eng. in electrical engineering. In 2000, he gained a MSc. in software engineering and became the senior software advisor on multiple air programs, including JSF, Eurofighter, Chinook and Hawk. Since leaving the RAF, he's been an active contributor to DO178C, which will mean more to some than others, I guess. (laughs) He's a member of the Forum for Aeronautical Software. He's contributed to various papers, carried out a number of aerospace and autonomous systems projects in various sectors, and was elected as Fellow of the IET in November 2021. He is Nick Tudor. Hello, Nick. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? That sounds like... Wow. <laughs> That's an interesting CV, isn't it? Yeah. Done some stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I just realised as I was reading that out that um, I sort of tried to condense what you sent me to... He's contributed to various papers and after our conversation just earlier at the kitchen, I realised that's kind of uh, skimming over quite a lot of detail. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose it's the necessary thing to do, otherwise you get a bit up yourself, don't you? So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's obviously some some pretty important stuff. Um, so just before we start, your website is D Risk, which is D R I S K. That's our Q. I was reading Q. D R I S Q dot com. Yep. And then you're on LinkedIn, and you've got the company page yep. on LinkedIn as well. So we'll put all that in the show notes so people can contact you. Thank Excellent. You. Well, thank you very much for coming in. First of all. Um, it sounds like you've got a lot going on at the moment from what you're saying earlier and uh, getting back into it after the new year. Yep. So appreciate your time and everything. Um, but yeah, so so going to go back over your kind of career a little bit and okay. talk about what you've done and how you got to this point and what you're doing now. Uh, I saw on your LinkedIn page earlier that you went to Leeds Uni, like me. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't remember you. Uh, no, no. Uh, I think I was uh, I was a little little couple of years after you. Oh, uh, right. That explain uh, it. Then, yeah, yeah, not many. Or yeah. Either that, or you were working harder than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I um. So I grew up in Hereford, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah. Um. Uh, went to the Elston School. So this is three counties uh, stuff, you know. Okay. And then um after doing the sixth form at, at the Hereford Sixth Form College, I then went to Leeds to do. A, uh, uh, a B engine electrical electronic engineering um, and at the same time the RAF said well th- thanks for your um, interest would you mind awfully being um, sponsored through university at the same time you know, we'll oh, give right. you a salary <laughs> so uh, I said oh, okay then um, uh, but I was sponsored as an engineering um, uh, a cadet right. as opposed to a, a pilot which meant I didn't get any allocated flying hours Right. Okay. <clears throat> um, but I did an awful lot of flying did you, um, yeah. uh, um, and learning about what the RAF was all about. And then the final year, uh, they allocated um, um, some flying hours to uh, to Grand Branch uh, University cadets. So uh, 20 hours were allocated. So in my final year, 
Uh, I did 46. (laughs) Uh, Hence, I didn't quite get a decent degree out of it. I spent more time flying than I did uh, understanding Fourier transforms. Um, And then um, off I went into the Air Force, yeah, straight after that. Yeah. So what, do they sort of put you through your PPL and that sort of thing? Uh, it's it's like the PPL, but it's a sort right. of a military version of it. Um, right, okay. um, yeah, I went up as far as doing solar aerobatics and, and things oh, like nice, that. So yeah. yeah, I did some entry into low-level flying as well, which was uh, just an extra couple of bits I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, just so I understood what was going to be happening. And I ended up working with um, with, with pilots and, and, and other air crew, you know, what, what's it like to be in the air and... Um, yeah. And what you have to understand they're going through when, when, when they're doing it. Uh, I, I obviously wanted to be a pilot, like everybody joins the Air Force really wants to be a pilot in some mm. way, shape or form, I guess. Um, but but um, my eyesight let me down, so there was no way I was going to be able to do that. Uh, so okay, the, the next yeah. best was to be an engineer and do okay. that instead. Yeah, I had a similar thing because my eyesight's... Uh, I've got contact lenses as well, but I, I after uni I went and worked at Marshall Aerospace, so you may yep. know, I guess. Because uh, they service all the C-130s, mm. uh, and they put me through my PPL oh, right, there yeah. as a kind of graduate wow. bonus scheme, which was quite nice. Which um, I joined them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of had thoughts of doing it commercially at one point, and yeah, I just didn't have the eyesight for it or anything. But yeah, still good fun though. Never did any real aerobatics. Though. I think one barrel roll we did. I've fallen out of many a barrel roll. I, <laughs> I can't do them, so <laughs> <laughs> quite tricky. So, um, so before you went to uni, you'd sort of applied to the RF, had you? Yeah. Because you were interested in yeah. in flying and everything. Yeah. And then they offered me a full career after that, so um, right. a, f- a full commission. So um, went through Cranwell uh, and did my basic training, and then into my engineering officer training, held in various stations around whilst waiting for courses to come up. And then went to uh, RF Lynham, uh, mm-hmm. doing the, the simulators, which was well advanced in its time. The, right. the kind of things that we were doing, I, I, I learned to fly the simulators pretty quickly, having been able to fly. Yeah. Um, and, and took people on the the biggest um, video game that was in existence in those <laughs> days. It was brilliant fun. Yeah. I had um, um, I could fly through the scenery. It was, uh, it was excellent. Uh, and then um, I did the avionics uh, um, um, second line bit there as well, and then a bit more training, and then I went out to RAF Germany on number 16 squadron uh, tornadoes, right? And uh, which is quite a, an interesting tour to say the least. Not n- 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 the very least of it, of course, was being overseas in in, in Germany, uh, um, but more interestingly, uh, I was probably in the middle of. Uh, and this has nothing specifically to do with me. I didn't cause this to happen, by any way. But in the middle of two of the biggest events at the end of uh, of, the, of the 20th century, and that was uh, the Berlin Wall came down while we were in, in Germany. Wow. Uh, and that was an interesting place to be, yeah, uh, yeah, just but... because of all what was going on and our stance that was, was held at that time, uh, um, obviously successfully. Uh, and then, of course, all the, um, uh, the, the, the Eastern Europeans coming across and seeing the Trabants mm. on, the, on the German autobahns where you know, we could drive at you know, well over 100 miles an hour and they could barely make 40 miles an hour. And it was <laughs> kind of interesting seeing the reaction of the, uh, of the, the road users on the, on the autobahn with those kind of vehicles around. And, of course, all the economic impact of that. And then... Um, and, and then um, uh, Gulf War One. So I right. went out to Saudi Arabia uh, with sixteen uh, at a place called Tabuk um, in in the uh, in the west of uh, um, or south and west, if you like, of uh, of uh, Saudi Arabia. And we did Gulf War One. Came back, did the um, 
the peace dividend and the squadron was disbanded. So it's all pretty much a right. roller coaster. And I stayed at Larbrook on second line doing the avionics and, and a few other bits and pieces of, of, uh, of stuff to do with the wind down of Tornado and the wind up of the Harriers moving out of RAF Goodslow into, into RAF Larbrook. Right. And then I was posted back to UK. So. Okay. So, so all the while, this was kind of software engineering. That no, you were, no, it wasn't. No. No, nothing to do with software nothing at all. Nothing to do with software. Um, no, the first. In fact, my next tour started my sort of touch with software, and that, so I went onto the Eurofighter program. Uh, right. That was in the mid nineties. This is no, well, in fact, uh, early nineties. Yeah, ninety two. Um, so the Eurofighter program had been going for about three years as a as a, a, a sort of a, a, consult, um, a collaboration between the four nations. Mm. Uh, and I was uh, starting doing some of the second line planning for how we were going to support the aircraft. And then I went up to Edinburgh and spent three years working on the radar, of which the radar is a lot of software. Mm-hmm. And of course, the whole jet is run by software. Uh, and then after I finished uh, in Edinburgh um, and, and we got to the sort of C model stage of the radar, I then went back to the tornado fleet. Uh, at the uh, in a command position, responsibility across the entire tornado fleet. I did oh, a load right. of different bits of aspects of the tornado, uh, all the wiring and flight controls and, and such like. Okay. Uh, and um, and then um, uh, the life extension of the aircraft, because that time we were doing the, the Bosnian campaign was was ongoing, and we were consuming hours on the uh, flying hours on the jets, um, like going out of fashion. It was ridiculous, <laughs> really. Um, so we needed a life extension program, and, and I okay. started putting that together. Uh, and then uh, I, I went then went to um, to university for a year uh, right. at, at York, and where yeah. I did my masters in, in software engineering, um, uh, and that was that was quite a roller coaster. Um, and then um, the, the, what then turned out to be, in retrospect, my final tour, I went down to Abbey Wood in a brand new post, uh, which was to look at um, basically lowering the cost of software for the armed forces in general, but because it was a, um, a purple post, as it were. Okay. covering every aspect and I learned an awful lot about what drove the cost of software development through um, not only doing the masters of course but and, and previous experience on the Eurofighter program um, but I then looked at all sorts of programs as you mentioned in the, in the intro there uh, Joint Strike Fighter and uh, some of the things that were going on there uh, back on the Eurofighter program some policy stuff standards uh, mm. and such like and um, uh, I realised it, it, the cost of support of, of aircraft in, 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 with respect to, and, and other systems with respect to uh, software is all embedded in the way in which it's built from the start. Right, and okay. it's the practices and processes that are put in place, particularly if it has to be certified, mm-hmm. it is what co- causes the cost. Mm-hmm. So cutting the way of um, finding ways to cut the cost of the development of software uh, and the way in which it is then subsequently put through change is what it was all about. It was a, it was a, it was a driver for that particular tour. Right. And, and I found it, and it was just happened that in my, um, my master's dissertation that I did um, uh, at the invitation of DERA, in fact, because obviously being a military officer, I had, I had no problems with any sort of security issues. Yeah. Um, uh, and I could go in and out of, um, of, of DERA and see some of the stuff that they were doing. And I realised that the dissertation I did was on formal methods, which is uh, the foundation principles behind all computing. Uh, Alan Turing did all this kind of stuff during, during World War II when he was doing the Enigma. In fact, he wrote a paper in around about 1944, I think it was, that said, I, I don't need to test this programme, I can prove that it works. So yeah, yeah. the cost is all about how much testing do you need to do. Mm-hmm. And if you can just do a mathematical proof, 
Ta-da, mm-hmm. it works. Right. The problem is that that's all done by hand, and that's what I was trying to do um, uh, to, to look at when I was working with Dera in my dissertation. They were doing little bits of fragments of, of automation of bits of the process of, of, uh, of doing mathematical proof. And I thought, well, if we could stitch all this together in, 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 in a way which means the whole of the process is subject to mechanical analysis, which is mm. what formal methods really means, then um, you can automate an awful lot of the verification process. Uh, and, and that's subsequently what's happened is uh, I was then recruited um, by uh, Professor Colin O'Halloran, who's uh, the, the guy who's running this department in DERA. Uh, and obviously DERA transformed into Kinetic. Uh, and I went to work for Kinetic for a few years. Right, OK. Uh, and, and to try to exploit uh, this automation that, that, that he'd started. And it's down to him, really, that I'm doing what I'm doing at the moment. It's his fault. <laughs> so that was kind of your, your route out of the RAF then, was yep. you started doing that and he effectively kind of headhunted you in yep. a way. Yeah, yep. okay. And yep. brought you into this, this new Yeah, thing. I remember um, we were at a conference and um, uh, we were in the, um, the hotel um, lounge bar, I think it was, sat in some comfy seats just like this. <laughs> and, and we had a chat over a gin and tonic or two about our um, our individual views of what the industry might look like and we had a meeting of minds and we've had a meeting of minds for the last 20 odd years ever since it's right, been fantastic okay. nice. it's brilliant brilliant chap to work with yeah i hope he listens to this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah. excellent um so yeah I, I mean i kind of don't want to just like skirt over because tw- 20 years is a you know a serious bulk of time isn't it in the in the raf so yeah i'm sure you went through many kind of changes and developments and everything yourself in that time and your, your career obviously developed and to the point that you found software I suppose and then it sounds like sounds like a religion <laughs> found I software. found software I finally found it <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's, it sounds like you kind of you started doing something with software and then obviously wanted to learn more and did your masters yeah is that kind of yeah, so um, the, 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 I was selected for what's called a start appointment, um, and a start appointment is something where you have to have a pre-qualification to go and do that particular job. So that oh. pre-qualification is typically a master's level um, uh, qualification that's needed, which means you have to go to university for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a number of different posts that were that, that were available um, that was uh, and I was eligible for. And I had a chat with the the poster, the, the desk officer, and said, "Look, you know, um, of the list of four, the, can I express a preference?" And he said, "Well, you can express a preference." <laughs> <laughs> Very tiresome and military about it all, but um, so I expressed a preference to do software and um, he didn't ask why I just um, he's okay and that's what I ended up doing but the, the reason for it was the, the other uh, other ones which I, I won't uh, go in I don't think I can remember what they were now but they, they, they didn't really attract me and they didn't really have a future beyond beyond what was needed in that post right okay and um what I thought, uh, you know, software was obviously going to be something that was going to be driving the world, and, and obviously it is, yeah. um, and it was at that in, in those days, and it was going to be increasingly so. I mean, the, the functionality in virtually every um, piece of kit that the military buys is you know, 50% plus is vested in software. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, in, it's in everything in some way, shape or form. Um, and, and I remember uh, <laughs> we were rewriting, uh, there's a, st- a safety standards review committee, and I remember being in one of these um, 
interminable meetings with the uh, with with these guys, uh, and we were trying to rewrite DevStand 0056, and which is the sa soft uh, sorry the safety standard, and 0055, which is the was the the software, and then subsequently complex electronics hardware standard, and um, they wanted to write, rewrite the the safety standard only 56, whereas I wanted to rewrite 55 for very good reasons. Uh. 56 wasn't broken in my view; it just wasn't being applied. Uh, widely, okay. 55 was broken because it mandated the use of formal methods. Right. <laughs> okay. It was a bit ahead of its time, and and it needed to be uh, more widely applicable to things that weren't just the high end safety critical. That's what the problem with it, with it was, and the the state of the art in the in the 90s when this was written meant that formal methods couldn't really be applied in anything other than small individual bits and pieces, and indeed that was the was the case. Um, so we need to make it more widely applicable as opposed to an excuse not to use formal methods and to do anything else. And people are spending more time doing that. So I managed to get it rewritten. But, but in, 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 in trying to persuade them to do this, I made this statement that you know, virtually every piece of kit that the, that the military buys has is, is got functionality invested in software. Yeah. And this guy said, well, Zodiac hasn't. And I looked around the room and going, Zodiac, Zodiac, Zodiac. Oh, I remember what that is. Uh, and with an expletive, which I won't do here, but I said, it's a rubber boat. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, as a result of that, uh, he realised he'd made himself look a bit silly. So um, so we did uh, we did 55 and replaced it. And, right, and eventually okay. that's turned into the vision I had for it. Okay. Because um, okay. I did a bit of work subsequently, which basically set out that you adopt the software standard that you need for the domain in which you're equipment is being developed for so for example if you're in aerospace then you use do 178 now do 178 c um and in automotive you use an automotive um, uh, right, standard yeah, which is yeah. recognized internationally as being a way of doing things so you use that and there's a couple of extra pieces that go on top for a military uh, need um uh, but that's basically the principle that needs to be adopted and that's what they've adopted now it took me a long time but yeah. we got there in the end so <laughs> you know a lot of other people are contributing a his and not just me but that's uh, yeah, that was yeah. my original vision with yeah. it so okay so at that point where you're sort of making those decisions to follow that path into software did you have a kind of eye on the fact that you were going to be leaving the military at some point or yeah, I sat down with my wife Karen um, uh, when this was this came up, and um, <laughs> I said, you know, if if I'm any good at this, and anybody recognises that, um, then there's a, a jumping-off point, uh, which is available for me. It was the end of my commission. Right. Oh, I had to extend a year for my commission to do it. Um, I said, so you know, it, it's it's like a, a switch now. We either um, stay in the military. I mean, I could use the experience at some point later, but you, you have a freshness to it when you when you get to the end of the of the tour and your expertise. So, um, uh, if if I decided to to, to jump uh, to to leave the air force at that at that point, then it was going to be a career in software, mm. or I was going to stay in and and take my chances with whatever was coming down the pipe with the, the mm -hmm. postings I would get in, in the Air Force to the age of 55, and yeah. uh, which means I would have recently retired. <laughs> Ish, maybe. Because um, they've extended the, the time you can be, uh, the age you can be in the Air Force now, I right, believe. So, yeah. so it was that kind of decision point. Yeah. And then we went, well, we wanted to have a stable family, uh, home background and all the rest of it. So, uh, and we were just starting a family then. Um, or, um, so we decided that uh, Malvern was a lovely place to live, and uh, obviously I, I, I knew of it, uh, mm. uh, having 
I grew up in Hereford. In fact, I went to my first ever rock concert at the Malvern, what was then called the Winter Gardens. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was the Pretenders, so... <laughs> Fantastic, Excellent. what an eye-opener. Um, so we, we came here, and, um, and, and the criteria for me was leaving the Air Force, having had a lot of time on the road, commuting backwards and forwards to, to, to the office in, in Abbey Wood and other places, that I didn't really want to be doing an hour commute in the car each way every day, mm-hmm. or even by train for that matter. Uh, so I wanted to be able to run, walk or cycle to work, which is what I did, nice. uh, knowing that I was going to be doing a lot of driving anyway as part of the job. So, Yeah, yeah. So that's what yeah. I did. Um, okay, okay. And um, w- what was the kind of transition like? Because, you, you know, I've not been in the military, but I hear, you know, it can be kind of weird coming out and sort of coming out of that, that system, that more rigid structure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that an issue for you? It's, uh, well, for me, no, but it was yeah. for other people, which I found right. kind of strange. Um, I mean, people often ask, you, do you miss the military? And, and frankly, no. Um, uh, the, the bits I miss is obviously, like a lot of people say, it's the, it's the people. Because yeah. um, um, the vast majority of you have got the same sort of outlook on life all mm-hmm. the time, you know, the majority of the time. So you, you have that joie de vivre, if you like, of, of being in it, in it. Um, um, in, in, in a cadre of people who have been selected specifically for the skills and the and the, the capabilities that they have and all the training you've gone through, so you know what you can rely upon with mm-hmm. with your team from the team you're in charge of and the leading uh, and and your own leaders in, the, in uh, up up the chain as it were. So you understand how that all fits and how, what what you can rely upon. So if I said to somebody, oh, you know, "Could you do so and so?" which sounds like a request, yeah. which it is, but um, that, that it would be done, you know. Right. Okay. Um, Whereas when you come out out of the military, you come into 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 uh, civil life, even in the civil service for that matter. Um, you ask somebody to do something, and they're not necessarily <laughs> going to do anything. Not even acknowledge the fact that 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 that, um, that they're going that you've asked them to do something, let alone go right. and do it. Um, and it's it's a different mindset, that's for sure. And when you understand that that's the case, I remember having a, um, there was three or four of us who'd left the military, who all joined um, um, uh, Kinetic uh, around the same time. Um, um, my boss uh, had an interview with me at my annual appraisal kind of thing. He says, the trouble with you ex-military guys is that when you ask people to do something, you expect them to do it. <laughs> and I looked at them and I just, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, why, why, why would you expect somebody whose job it is to go and do these kind of things not to do the job? You know, really strange, really, really strange. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it's that kind of understanding of the difference between civil life and, and military life is, is, um, is where the, sort of the, the dichotomy sits, really, the lack of understanding of that. Right, okay. Yeah. And, and, and expectations people have of me as well. You know, I, I, I right. remember one person... Um, accusing me of being the the, the the squadron leader with an expletive you know and I'm going well I have no idea what you're talking about you know <laughs> um, and, and it was nothing to do with um, what I'd actually done it was just their expectations of what I was 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 doing um, right. very very strange very strange and do you think do you, do you kind of like um, does it work the same way with you so if someone asks you to do something now are you still like it's done. It gets done. It's done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've talked to a number of people about uh, in in CV Street um, in various ways about people who've employed former military. And there's a, a a lady who works around here for an oil company, uh, distributing oil, and she said, "I love ex-army drivers, ex-military drivers, ex-army. They're they're fantastic." 
yeah. uh, because when you ask them to do something, not only is it done, it's done <laughs> on time. They tell me they've done it. And if there's extra things that needs to be done whilst they were there doing it. So, for example, there's this old lady who was, had a, was delivering some autumn. She had a problem with whatever it was and he solved it. And she rang up as this bloke was on his way back to thanks ever so much for the extra service. Said, yeah. I've never seen that from a, a non-military driver. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. that's what you get from, uh, it's, if there's a problem you need solving and you can solve it, um, do it, just, do just it. get it done, you know, because you know that it needs doing and if you're not doing it, then somebody else is going to do it or it may cause a problem later. Yeah. So uh, and that's, that's the way it kind of works. Yeah, I, I had an experience of that when we had the when I had the um, van delivered. I think the guy that was the delivery driver, uh, I don't remember if he was ex-military or ex-police. I can't remember, uh, or ex-fire maybe. I think it might be an ex-fire service. But um, there was a small problem with the van when it arrived, and we had to like get the AA or whoever it was to come out and have a look at it. It wasn't anything major in the end, but. Um, you know, and I was kind of like, yeah, I think we'll, we'll be fine. And he was like, no, I'll stay here and I'll wait until it's sorted yeah. and I, I won't leave kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, how do they, how do you think the military sort of, uh, you know, get, get people thinking that way and being that way? Oh, you get beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the way in which it works in, in your training is, well, firstly, you're selected to be the kind of person who would be, but would be um, amenable to this kind of uh, discipline, if you like. Yeah. Particularly as an officer, that's that's definitely what you you look you look for. Um, but then when you go through the training, it's it's Im- impressed upon you at, at all ranks. You know, so your basic training is a uh, in the army, navy, or the air force um, for for the, for the guys and for the for their officers that you are reliant upon the person next door mm. you know, because um, you may need them to look after you in some way, shape or form. So yeah. you look after them. And it's that yeah. kind of, you know, there's nothing, nothing new in this. It's been going for millennia, yeah, the way yeah. in which you train uh, military people to, to look after each other and, and the standards, that uh, personal standards that they, they have, you know, basically cleanliness, um, mm. going through to the, the, the way in which the job is done. You have mm. to have higher standards and that's expected of you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and higher standards, the more you go up through the ranks structure you know you go through corporal sergeant all the way up through into the officer ranks you're expected to have high personal and and professional standards particularly professional okay so so, yeah so when someone asks you to do something and you know it's definitely going to get done that's because you're looking after them basically as one of the yeah the team sort of yeah and, I, and you know I've, I've tried to yeah you know, obviously without the sort of uh, the marching up and down the square bit to uh, <laughs> to quote Monty Python <laughs> to get Monty Python into a podcast um, um, so without doing the, the marching up and down the square and and and, and all that sort of um, 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 silly military stuff if you like um, uh, trying to bring a similar sort of um, ethos to, to, to de-risk as well you know so yeah. so th- throughout the pandemic we've been um, uh, dispersed everybody's been working from home but I've made sure that every single person every single week is spoken to at least once mm-hmm. um, on the phone make sure they're okay and what they're doing and they're briefed by me as to what's going on with the rest of the the business yeah. uh, uh, obviously from that uh, from the the, from the, the, the directors doing what we're trying to do so that they understand where they fit with everything else that's going on and and, and, and a vast majority of leadership is about communication mm-hmm. you know, uh, and you can see it in all sorts of ways where people fail to communicate and, and email's really bad for this Yeah. Um, where people just don't understand that an email doesn't get it 
You know, just mm. because I've sent you an email doesn't mean to say anything's going to happen as a result. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's some great examples of that, even in the last um, three or four weeks, where people have tried to communicate with me by email, in fact, over a period of months, to the point where it's been failing to get what we needed done. Right. And eventually, um, uh, ended up with me having to come a bit squadron needly like on the telephone, right. eventually, when I eventually managed to get somebody to ring me, because I had no communication otherwise, right. um, about what, what on earth do you think they were playing at? That right, kind of stuff, yeah. you know. It's not, it's not good. I don't, it's not a brilliant place to be in at all. But it's driven there by the fact there's poor communi- communication channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, my, my view of um, the way in which... Um, um, leadership is 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 um, uh, should be taught is if you're not communicating properly, and this is something they do get taught at at uh, Cranwell and, and and the other military colleges, which are nowhere near as good, by the way, as the RAF ones. Yeah. Um, uh, they will. Um, uh, it's all about communication, making sure that you and un- you understand what you need to do, and you communicate that to the to the team either up or down the chain as to mm. what they need to do and what their part of it is. Mm. Uh, and check that they they they've, they've got that understanding right. You know, so it, it's inevitable that people will put their own sort of spin on it because that's what you expect individuals to do. Yes, we are all individuals. That's Monty Python as well. Um, um, but so you making sure that they're they're what you're asking for them to do is actually done, but it's done in the way in which they can actually do it. And and being allowed that kind of breadth of expression is what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, that's something I've thought about quite a lot. And you know, because I've obviously just got one employee and a, and a couple of freelancers and things at the moment but mm. yeah that communication and you know if you just kind of forward someone an email it, it, you don't know if it's definitely going to get done because maybe they don't understand when and he's doing or what needs doing or something like that and it's kind of having systems in place to make sure that things get done that we need to get done yeah is a tricky one yeah some years ago when, when my kids first had um um Telephones, remember telephones, mobiles. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the C symbol on the phone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, text is not a reliable means of communication. So when they when they were going to brownies or whatever, you know, they they send a text saying we're we're we're, we're ten minutes out. Can you pick us up? <laughs> yeah. And they're surprised when an hour later we haven't picked them up. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. shockingly enough, the text hasn't come through, or yeah, yeah. you know, there's no. Just because you sent a ping doesn't mean to say that I'm actually going to do anything about it. You know? mm. Why don't you? It is a telephone. Why don't you use it as a ooh, telephone <laughs> and give us a ring and say we'll be there in ten minutes? Yeah, we can come pick you up now. We'll be there in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, and, and and a lot of people you know, think that just because they send a text or a whatever kind of message um, um, that that's the job done and I, I, I need to do no more. Well, that depends if you want the job done, really, doesn't it? And if yeah. you want the job done, then follow it up with a, a telephone call set. At some point, just be there, oh, I've just sent you an email because that's obviously bad. <laughs> <laughs> Give them a bit of time to read it and go, mm, if you have any problems, please call me kind of stuff is what you want. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I always ensure that my contact details are on my emails, which a lot mm-hmm. of people don't do now. So you can't phone them up. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Where you just, yeah, there's no way of getting contact I've sent you an email. Platform. That's sufficient for you. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because, mm. yeah, it kind of comes down to how good you are at managing your emails then, doesn't it? Because some people have 10,000 unread emails in their inbox. And yeah. And some people are inbox spam. zero. <laughs> yeah, spam. Spam, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, so you went into what's now Kinetic yeah. after the military, coming back to... 
yeah. timeline. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how long were you, were you doing that then, and what, what's the kind of route from there into? Okay, so um, um, the reason I joined uh, Kinetic was that uh, I, I fell for the marketing, unfortunately, at that time, um, which was <laughs> that they were going to take all these fantastic ideas, which there were some yeah. brilliant stuff going on within the whole of what was formerly Dera and all the, the forerunners to that, uh, and take it to commercial reality. In fact, one of the things that um, that that, um, that that the the, the research uh, at Malvern uh, RSRE had done was developed LCD. Not a lot of people know that. So uh, what's on your smartphone now and on your television was actually invented in in Malvern and patented in in Malvern. And um, some monies were made from it. um, But, of course, the vast majority of it is manufactured in Korea and Japan and what have you, you where LCD is made, you know. Yeah. Uh, Or China, of course. Um, So um, the the idea, which is John Major's sort uh, um, um, sort of initiative, I believe, um, was to uh, get more commercial benefit out of the research that was being done in the military uh, so that we could make, make benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, there are other examples in other um, um, government research um, uh, labs, if you like, that have, have failed to be commercialised, but others have done it, discovered the same thing and commercialised them. So right. we lose out you know, we, and many years later. So RSA being one of those from, from the credit card payment kind of you know, cryptography uh, was, 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 was discovered years and years before it was discovered by RSA. Right. And of course it was kept very quiet and used <laughs> only in, the, in, the, in a military context. So um, being able to exploit that properly, obviously with due, due notice to any sort of um, uh, national security stuff, is what, what it was all about. So um, having fallen for the marketing, saying, yeah, this is fantastic stuff, and I knew this was fantastic stuff that Colin and the team were doing, and I could see a vision, uh, which is what my dissertation was about, was how to automate this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, and that's what I was expecting to, to happen in Kinetic. The first three or so years there were just me understanding how civil a corporate worked well sort of because it wasn't really a corporate it was a civil service transition into something else um and um ended up with a lot of um uh, problems towards the back end with costs because uh, the the people who were left in charge of kinetic failed to, to deal with it properly in, in right. my view um <clears throat> and um for a completely different podcast to what, what went wrong with Kinetic, if you like. <laughs> um, but it's now in a situation where it's, it's now, I believe, on the, it's relatively stable. And, and, but I got to a position where uh, it was quite obvious that, that, that Kinetic didn't understand, the, the management simply failed to understand what was uh, potential with the, the, what was going on in Collins Group and to exploit it, even though we got quite a lot of, um, uh, of interest uh, in various places to, mm-hmm. to do that. We were stymied by the commercial people on a number of occasions trying to get other companies to, to exploit what we had in there. Right, so okay. really bad behaviours, unfortunately. Right. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, so eventually I engineered an exit, uh, and I left behind what I've previously described as some pinless hand grenades. Um, <laughs> and basically... Um, the, the team that stopped us from doing it, we, we proposed a management buyout with a, a chap, the third director in, um, in, in de-risk is a chap called David Shepard, and, and he basically did all the legwork um, uh, uh, inside Kinetic to try and uh, do a management buyout, which was stymied by um, uh, individuals who, who basically went through the, the sort of process, thought process, well, if you want it, there must be something in it, so you're not going to have it. Right. doesn't mean to say they knew what to do with it. So the pinless hand grenades were, well, you think you can do something with it, and I know you can't, which is why we need to do this spin-out. Um, 
uh, over to you then. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and my boss agreed. So we set in chain a series of reporting points where they would say the progress that they've made on doing this exploitation they said they could do. And um, they, I'd left by then, but they subsequently failed to meet any of those criteria. Uh, they managed to eventually move the ownership of the intellectual property into the intellectual property department in in Kinetic. And uh, we did a... a um, uh, so that was... I left in the May. Uh, in the took until the January for it to get into the IP department in Kinetic. Uh, and the individual there, uh, unfortunately, has subsequently died. Uh, a chap called Peter Giro um, managed to get it into a, a person who could deal with this for, for this particular uh, event. And um, we did a, uh, a non-disclosure agreement with him in, in, in the January, negotiated the deal, uh, and signed it on Star Wars Day of 2012. <laughs> <laughs> uh, may the fourth be with you. Um, and then we've run that theme ever since. So <laughs> uh, and that's, that's how it really happened. You know, we got, basically got tired of not being able to do what was obviously needed. Right, okay. uh, And yeah. um, engineered an exit. Yeah, right. we, we we could have done a spin out, and Connecticut could have had some benefit from it, but um, um, the, the politics at the time was it was not going to happen. So, um, uh, unfortunately uh, for them, or fortunately for us, really, it's it's landed that we can do what we're doing, and, and, and frankly, what we saw at the time uh, is um, largely what we wanted to do. But we've done an awful lot more than we ever expected in in 2012. A huge amount more. Right. Okay. Okay. Mm. Okay, so you came out with your business partners from Kinetic? Uh, yes, they took yeah. a year to be sprung. Um, okay. But yes, we engineered the exit for them as well. And so Colin came out. He worked part-time as a professor at uh, Oxford. Right. Um, uh, doing some programmes. Uh, and as a result of, of, of that, we managed to land um, uh, a programme with Oxford into DARPA. Right. <laughs> so the US uh, Defence Advanced Research Programme Agency uh, that Oxford were doing some work with at the time on, on um, uh, high assurance cyber military systems. So this is basically, can you produce a highly assured, um, in this case, a, um, a, a drone, uh, a remote control aircraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and we were on the red team for that, which is basically, can you, can you hack it? Right. And uh, the, although a lot of um, formal approaches had been done in the, in the, the other teams that were competing in the US, uh, we, we showed that we could hack it using formal approach. Right, okay, okay. So they, they'd done some daft things, which we managed to show that we could circumvent, which is quite entertaining. Okay, okay. Yeah. So um, before we sort of like talk a bit more about what you're doing now then, mm-hmm. uh, should we just... Because you explained to me earlier about formal methods and kind of what it means and everything. Oh, right, you yeah. Put it into um, layman's terms and for, yeah. not, not that everyone's a layman, but, you know. Well, I've got a slide projector here if you want to do the, the yeah, sun. Yeah, so. let's, let's get the... Get, get the uh, I, I remember that. You're a whiz on PowerPoint, aren't you? Oh, well, I wouldn't say that. But from, I remember from the... Um, at the uh, Festival of Innovation, your talk that you did, had, like, some really fancy motion graphics on it that I'd never oh, seen in PowerPoint. Well, there you go. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Well, I suppose on. we should expect that. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't <laughs> work well on radio. 
No, no, I suppose <laughs> people just have to imagine. Yeah, so, um, so formal methods then is um, it's the foundation principles, I said earlier, of, of all computing, and it's based in some mathematics called pure maths, which was invented around the turn of the previous century, or mm -hmm. discovered, rather. Um, uh, so it's propositional calculus, predicate logic, and, and set theory. Uh, so set theory is what you think it is, if you like, uh, Venn diagrams and all, all that sort of squiggly brackets kind of stuff. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and that's then the maths behind all this. So it's, it's really high-end stuff. You know. um, uh, you know, prove that there's such a thing as a number. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So once you've proven that, then you can use a number kind of thing. It starts at that kind of fragmented level. And, um, uh, and what you're basically doing is writing in, in a mathematical language. So this is, is symbolic stuff that you're writing. Uh, so it's really difficult to, to read uh, and understand unless you've been trained in this. Yeah. Um, and I'm not very good at this at all. I did it at university um, back in 2000, but um, I wouldn't bear me say I was an expert at it. Far from it. But I understand the principles behind it. So what you're trying to do is to write uh, in this sort of uh, by hand, if you like, a specification uh, for what you want a software system to do. And then yeah. that's great. Well, well done. Um, you can then do things with that that specification, which is if you've got a tool that you've, you can interpret that language, so you can actually write it into a into a software application, if you like. Then you can do certain things with it. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. So you. Um, you then want to know the implementation of your specification in the programming language is perhaps correct with respect to that specification. Well, as I said earlier, Turing said you can prove this program works rather than test it. So as long as I've got a formal semantics, a meaning behind the programming language, then I can then translate my program into those formal semantics. Aha! Okay. So now I've got a formal semantics for the program and a formal semantics for my specification. So now okay. I can do a proof between the two. Right, okay. Um, now you can do it by hand, and good luck doing that. As I described earlier, um, uh, if, you, if you imagine I've got to prove this thing, and that's the, the, the trunk of the tree, mm -hmm. then in order to prove that, it all grows out to all the leaves on the, on the tree, and all those little leaves have to be proven right, to yeah. enable you to say, oh, and this thing on the trunk actually can be, uh, it's, it's true. Yeah. So doing that by hand, and you will end up with a lot of dead, dead end branches, you know, with no leaves on the end, kind of stuff, because yeah. that's the way this this works. Um, so if you can then say, well, if you can break it down into something that's a, a little bit easier, so you don't have to do all of this in in some way, shape, or form. The way to, way to describe this, I suppose, is instead of being able to use the entire. Um, um, Oxford English Dictionary to mm. describe what you want to, the, the program to do, we just rip out 80-90% you know, of the pages that, that in, in, in that dictionary and say you can only use these which are yeah. sufficient to describe what you want at the end of the day this is only going to be ones and noughts, so it's either a one <laughs> or a nought, you know, so we're not you know, or I wandered lonely as a cloud forsooth y equals x plus one kind of stuff it's, yeah. it's I want it to be x plus one, you know yeah. um, so being very precise about things so we, we give it a, a language to, uh, to, um, to use, which is very constrained and precise. Mm -hmm. then, then you've got a chance of being able to do automation because you haven't got that imaginative bit that, that a human does. Mm -hmm. You can now do stuff with this that's um, subject to a mechanical uh, analysis, which is what formal methods really means. Right. So yeah. you, mechanical analysis means it can be done by a machine. Yeah. Machine is a computer. Yeah. Uh, good. So we can use a computer to do this, and that's the whole point about behind 
what we were, what Colin was trying to do back in the late 90s in, um, with the team and what I discovered um, uh, by doing my dissertation we could then automate that that mathematical proof mm-hmm. um, so you can automate the specification and you can automate the proof mm-hmm. the, the trick is that how do you write the specification in the first place and that's currently done by hand or was being done by hand and and needs a lot of imagination that's not accessible to the vast majority of people in 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 the software world so you need to make it accessible to them in a way um that they're they're used to so what we do is um we, we invent a whole series of tools that automate the translation from for example from a specification in english mm-hmm. into into a formal specification or a, a, a bubble and lie diagram that people use to, to to draw what they want for the design into the same language and then we can do the proof so they're used to using those tools right. um like english yeah. <laughs> bubble and line diagrams or programming languages and we automate the translation and then automate the proof suffice to say it's not a simple thing to do no no no, no i can imagine just about i mean i don't really know anything about coding or anything like that but uh that sounds pretty complicated <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it is which is why it's taken us 10 years so far <laughs> yeah yeah um uh, but we've done a lot of in- a lot of interesting stuff on the way yeah yeah okay yeah so tell us a bit about that that 10 years then because uh i imagine it's been quite a journey uh, yeah because c- when did you get to the kind of point where you could sort of commercialize it and go out and start trying to sell it? Uh, only in the last uh, year, 18 months or so, really. Right. Um, um, so we've, we started, uh, yeah, so how, how naive was I? Uh, and, and for that matter, uh, Colin will say the same thing, really. Yeah, what, what we started with um, and what we uh, thought we could do in, in that short uh, time uh, from signing the, um, uh, the agreement on, on May the 4th to, to actually then saying, well, how are we going to fund this and how are we actually going <laughs> to do this? It was a, a real interesting journey. Yeah. Uh, and, and things that I've learned, which I never knew that I, I needed to do. You, you know this thing called imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm sure most people have heard of it and know, know that you know, you're the imposter and you're going to get found out at some point. Well, I have that on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> and I certainly had it in the first uh, five years or so where you know, I... You know, I didn't see, there's something called a comfort zone. I don't think I saw the inside of that ever. (laughs) I'm still not in it. Um, Then there's the stretch zone and then there's the panic zone. I spent a lot of time in my panic zone going, I've never done this before. I've got to do this. So, um, you know, people send you a contract. Well, I'm now a commercial expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, um, What's cash flow mean? Well, I learned a bit about that, you know. Uh, PNL still doesn't. I still don't understand what PNL means, um, <laughs> but getting there. Um, so all these things that you'd never had to, to think about. You know, how do you actually hire someone? You know, yeah, where do you, yeah, uh, yeah. I probably need a contract. Where do I get that from? You know, yeah. I had to have company policies. So you got you know twenty odd company policies for all sorts of things that. Well, you know, when I first left um, um, Connecticut, set up on my own, I have a, a, a personal consultancy company that does various bits and pieces. Um, I'm sat there one day, and I vividly remember how, how daft this was. You know, I, right, I, I need a printer. Right, I get a printer. Um, now I need some paper. Paper. <laughs> what sort of paper do I need? Well, I just want A4 paper, that's obvious, you know, but what quality of paper. And when you open up the internet, you go, what kind of paper do you need? There's about 300 different types of paper, all of which are white, never mind the colors. And I'm going, ah. Because previously, which, when you went to print something in your office at Kinetic, 
there was paper there that there had was been a box put of paper. there by just... someone. <laughs> you just put it in. And I spent 20 minutes going, what paper do I need? What paper do I need? And I went, oh, well, the cheapest. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so all these kind of you know, little, little, little tiny little journeys that panic you for all sorts of reasons. You're going, well, just just do it you know yeah, yeah kind of yeah. comes comes to mind but i'm laughing at myself when i'm doing this okay just just do it you know and and those kind of that's obviously a very trivial one but when it gets to serious stuff like am i going to sign this contract and what what am i actually liable for as a result of signing this contract you know it's it, it's a, a completely different um set of yeah. uh, of uh, experiences that i've never had before and I'm still not necessarily good at it, which is why there's there's three of us running this, David, uh, Colin, and myself, and David's got a lot of experience in this. So pass off the skills that, that, that are, are useful uh, mm-hmm. for this kind of uh, experience. And of course, we've all got cross-duplicate um, um, experiences. So one of us would say something, and another say either agree with us or not. And, and we've very much um, done it that way. And we brought in people to help us to mm-hmm. to, to sit on the sidelines, uh, so we don't we try and avoid that groupthink kind of thing right. that uh, that you may have heard of, where everybody because everybody respects each other, uh, that if somebody says something, that must be true. Whereas right, we have yeah. no respect for each other whatsoever. <laughs> 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 not true at all um but but you know, we were prepared to challenge you know, yeah, and you've yeah. got to be prepared to challenge and 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 but having somebody external to challenge you as well uh, to make sure that you know, that you're doing something that's that is actually in the, the not not just rational but in the benefit of the business is mm. is is I, I find crucial and we've had some excellent people really good so when you say someone external how, how do you mean like kind of coaches and or consultants and that sort of thing or um so no we've we've we're fairly long in the tooth so so um i don't need a um, um much in the way of, of business consultancy as such yeah. what what we need is people who've been there and seen it and done it and right. say you, know, you are not considering this aspect okay. so um people who've also been there and seen it and done it um mm-hmm. uh, uh um but have got a, a different set of skills. So, for example, we have one who's a, 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 a lawyer, a legal expert, very mm-hmm. senior partner in a, in a very big law firm uh, who volunteered some of his time, uh, and, and, a, and a former banker as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and other SME um, business uh, leaders we've we've consulted with as well, um, right, okay. uh, uh, who've been fantastic. You know, giving us a sort of thumbs up yeah. uh, or have you considered and that's it's the thumbs up it's great obviously yeah, but that's not what we're after <laughs> we're after the bit of have you considered and, it, and if it just once a year somebody says have you considered that's yeah. a value you know yeah, uh, yeah. because it's something you may have missed and and it brings you up that little that little bit extra or yeah. you know you've avoided a real big pit uh, um, a pit that you would have fallen into that's um mm. is that well, two questions. Is that something from the, the military, do you think, that you sort of learnt to, you know, bring someone in like that who will challenge you on, on those? Or um, is that just... Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a generally known thing in leadership that you know, yeah. just because you say it's the... You know, it, a lot of people have this thing about it's an order. So, you know, what, what he says goes and that's the end of it. Well, that's yeah. not true. That's not the way it works. Yeah. There are times when it's, I'm giving you a direct order. I don't expect it to be to be questioned. I think in my entire military experience, I did that three times. Right, okay. I think, and I can't remember phase life or death kind of thing. But it's like, do this and do this now. No no question. It's, in, it's an obvious order. Yeah. Um, but but um, generally speaking, you sort of, uh, you know, um, 
it, it, where where discussion is needed, then you expect that to happen. And it's strange, you know, are you sure you want to do this, boss? Kind of question. I've yeah. done it. Are you sure you want to do this? Because that's very good. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, and, and it's come to me. Um, and we'll, we'll change the plan as a result. You know? And if you don't have the, 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 you're not the font of all knowledge, you should never, ever think that you're in that case, uh, yeah. uh, you're that person. You need to have people around to ask questions of. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, um, very often talking to Colin, um, very often talking to David uh, and my other advisors. Uh, we've got a financial uh, chap access financial director who's on the phone just before I came in here mm. and, and, and just briefing him on stuff and making sure that uh, I haven't got something wrong here. Um, and, and, and Mark's great, you know, absolutely fantastic. Uh, sort of just picking up on the little financial bits that I, you know, it's not my area of expertise, but you need to have somebody who can do that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you've got to you know, check understanding, your own understanding, and um, yeah. take advice from the team, because they're yeah. experts, you know, they're employing them to be expert yeah. at what they do, yeah. so why don't you use them in, in, in that yeah. kind of way? So, um, yeah, and, 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 and similarly, where you've got, and we have, you've got um, apprentices going through, um, we'll, we'll bring them up the same way, you know, yeah. it's, um, you, 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 at the start, you know nothing, and you're expected that you know nothing, but we want you to challenge if you're yeah. being taught something, why you're being taught it as to what the use of that is if you don't mm. understand it. And it's so that they can become more confident. What we want is confident people doing brilliant work, you know. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I think my team are doing that. So. Yeah, and I suppose whatever level someone's at, they've got experiences, you know, they've got life experiences and things they've done, been through, whatever, that can always be of some value to anyone, really, I yeah. suppose, haven't they? yeah. And advice is free. Well, unless you're paying them to be an employee, but <laughs> advice is free. Um, yeah. It's up to you as the, as, the, as the boss, if you like, to take that or, or not. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's your own personal judgment. And the judgment comes with, uh, yeah. with experience, of course. So. It's, uh, I think it's really good for people to hear, like you, know, like you were saying, about all those little micro things that you come across. Because, yeah, I've had the same thing, you know, when you suddenly like, okay, I need an employment contract or, <laughs> yeah, I need to do this. Or, or yeah, someone sends you a, an NDA that you have to read through and, and check and you're like, okay, and sign it. And, you know, all those little decisions, it's important yep. for people to hear that, because, you know, you look, look at someone like yourself who's running, a, you know, th this company with, you know, big turnover numbers and things like that, which are, and, and big things that are happening and people kind of think, oh, you know, he could do it, but I, I couldn't. But actually you've been through all of the same little steps and challenges along the way as yeah. everyone else. Yeah, it's not magic. Um, it is hard work. Um, it is um, you know, putting the time in to try and understand stuff. I'm not perfect. Still get stuff wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, I submitted something last night for a proposal, biggest contract that we've ever put forward, and I realised I missed something off, so I had to resubmit it last night, right, frantically yeah. trying to get it done by the deadline. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, just missed up just a small bit out, and I had to put that in. Yeah. So. Um, but you learn, you know, that these things are, are there to try and um, to, to hammer home yeah. the experience you've got. But at least I'd, I'd done that check. Yeah. And just double, 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 double check that I've done something and you pick it up. You, know. you can't so, get hung up on it either, can you? Like, there's no, no point in losing sleep over it. I no. suppose you just got to 
move on to the next thing. We well, could try not to lose sleep over it. Did you? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> uh, I was a bit frazzled last night. I had, you know, I, um, I was very frazzled last night. But it's because um, uh, it's, it's, it's a deadline. It always ends up being a way. You know, yeah. Yeah. Despite all the effort you put in to try and make it not that it's all running towards the last minute, you always find something at the last minute because it all comes together. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we've been trying hard to, to just to get that done. And we, and we had put a lot of effort into making sure that that was the case. Um, Colin and myself, as, as well as David, um, uh, and, and we've got a, a very strong proposal. We hope we'll find out at the end of this month, um, <laughs> and, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, but that's those those kind of little micro things that you've got to pick up on um, that might make just make the difference. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, what what's the kind of what what's the outlook for you? Do you think for de-risk for the next? sort of five years or something or is it not planned that much well there, there, there's a um a famous supposed famous chinese saying it's not actually chinese um <laughs> but it may live in interesting times um uh, it is going to be very interesting for us uh, the next yeah. next year or so we, we've um we had a dreadful year the first year of, of covid right, um, okay. um everything just turned to dust uh, unfortunately but yeah. we managed to land uh, uh, investment um um out of the british um business bank uh, the meif the midlands engine investment fund right. um uh, which which is great you know, really kept us going um and we were doing some uh, really good investment using that money internally to do some some um development of some technology which will be really useful for us right. uh, but subsequently um um we as i say we do cash flow pretty regularly and i've never seen a cash flow line it uh the forecast goes goes through to next now next march yeah. um, and it looks really quite positive so right. we've got autonomous systems programs uh, uh we just finished one we've got two more that just started we're still doing an aerospace program these are grants uh, through innovate uk which by the way innovate uk have been fantastic you know right. really really useful for us and um um there through the ukri program um so there's two programs there that are ongoing. We're about to kick off another one in uh, in April, which will build another tool for us in, in, in the stack of tools that we've got. Uh, and it sits on the top of the stack. That'll be brilliant. Um, we've got um, uh, a program in cybersecurity, which we're finishing off now that will finish the end of March with hopefully some more to come of that in, in, uh, in the following year. Um, we are getting interest from uh, uh, in our tools beginning to rise um uh, over the uh, the last 12 months we've had a little campaign running with a, um, a marketing campaign on linkedin okay. um which has started to show i think started to show some um some green shoots. it's very difficult with with that kind of campaign to see yeah, anything yeah. that's directly linkable to it but we'll, we'll see um and we've got people who are saying yeah uh your, your capture tool is really really good right. uh, it's giving us what we want and, and i've had people approaching us saying we can see that what that does is completely different to anything else that's out there on the market and is necessary. It's like, oh, thank God for that. You know, this, this, this huge bet that I've put on this uh, the last 10 years is at last starting to, people starting to see what the benefit is. So, uh, and um, captures the start from a software engineering perspective with the requirements. Uh, and once you've got onto that, you can then see how the, the rest of the tools will build into a chain for yeah. them and bring tremendous value. Yeah, um, yeah. And we, we started to, so just before Christmas, had a very interesting nibble from a US um, startup company that, um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll keep it quiet for the time being because if yeah, it comes sure. out, it'd be fantastic. But yeah. um, uh, what they're doing is, is 
challenging uh, uh, and what they want us to do and uh, and and i have to say they're they're um um the chap i spoke to just before christmas had done his homework on us which is which is really good yeah. to see somebody actually do his homework and realize yeah. what we do and and what the benefit to him could be and his, his company uh, uh to the point says yeah we want to use the tools because we, we we recognize you want to be doing something different and we want to be doing faster and if you can make 80 percent savings then we're really interested in that yeah, for safety yeah. critical software so yeah even if it's not 80%, if it's only 50%, who's going to say no to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. um, yeah, so it's kind of exciting. The, the, so you the feel t- like you're sort of starting to get that, that momentum now and a bit of traction, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, we, we're, we've got a, a small demo to do under our um, aerospace programme, uh, which we'll get done end of this month, beginning of next, mm-hmm. which will show that you can take um, English language requirements expressed in CAPTCHA the design that is now in the subset of the language that uh, we're, we're now now using in um, Simlink and Stateflow, mm. subset of that language, we can translate that automatically to a formal specification and we can prove that the design satisfies the requirements. Right, okay. And then we use an autocoder, off-the-shelf autocoder, and we can automatically prove that the autocoder hasn't made any mistakes as well. Right. So the code satisfies the design. Okay. So that's three tools yeah. with a fourth one to go at the top, which will be doing system requirements, and then a fifth one at the bottom uh, of the chain um, uh, to do binary verification. So we can prove that the binary satisfies the source code, which has been proven to satisfy the design, which has been proven to satisfy the requirements, which means that the binary satisfies not just the right. source code, but the design and the requirements as well. Okay. And that's from from design onwards it's automated yeah, which yeah. is where you can get the savings okay so you got like yeah the whole chain the whole the, chain the yeah. whole flow yeah nice nice well thank you very much we're we've, we've just about hit an hour there um, which has been excellent um is the queue from kinetic no what's it <laughs> Uh, well, the name G-Risk came from a chap we were working with um, who was a consultant into Kinetic at the time. He came up with a name, and it was um, basically, uh, obviously, the D-Risk is kind of obvious. that What we're doing to do is D-Risk yeah, with the yeah. approach of development of software. Um, and people use that in um, in um, um, discussions they have with us. Right, uh, okay. We want to D-Risk this, and they go... Thanks for that. Thank you. And but he said, you know, D dependable, reliable, right. you know, uh, all those kind of words that you want to put into it, and cues for quality. Uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But there is a nod to kinetic, if you like, <laughs> if people want to see it that way, but not really. Cool. Well, no, thank you very much. Thanks, it's been Dan. A very interesting uh, website. D risk d r i s q dot com. You're on the LinkedIn. People can look you up, Nick Tudor. And uh, D-Risk is on LinkedIn yep. as well. So they're probably all the best places for people to go and find you and see what you're up to and do their homework and book uh, for you to come and de-risk them. <laughs> come and have a chat. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to it. Cool. All right. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Thanks for your time, Dan. Cheers. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.